Welcome to the Moving Beyond Your Tribe, where we talk about new ideas, new words, new approaches to step out of our comfort zones, to break free from our assumptions and create bridges to new opportunities. Hi, I'm your host, Torin, a multi-potentialite and political agnostic with a passion to bring all sides together through dynamic and thoughtful conversations. On this podcast, I'll bring on notable and diverse guests from all walks of life to give us tools to help us be better leaders and colleagues, create stronger business culture, boost our productivity and profits, create impact on our society with our message, and more importantly, help us to be a better mensch. Now let's get started. Welcome to the Moving Beyond Your Tribe podcast. I am really excited to have Livy McKay. We met Livy McKay in Concord, New Hampshire. I think it was in February where there was an event on marijuana with Tulsi Gabbard. And Livy McKay was giving her life testimony. And since then, I think maybe even because of the events, we'll find out later in the, in the podcast, but She's now full-time activist at Natural Alternatives Now. She's a co-founder with her husband, where she's working on promoting issues around integrating alternative solutions, natural alternative solutions, into medical solutions. And so welcome, Libby. Thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah. So why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get into this? Because I think one of the campaigns you're working on now is kind of this about medical cannabis and how... We are missing out by not allowing the medical field to really research on cannabis, even for COVID-19, because it's proven that it possibly has a solution to that. So if you could tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So addressing that right there, and then I can get into my personal story a little bit later. We do know that cannabis does provide anti-inflammatory medications and properties, I should say, which has been theorized to prevent the very dangerous and deadly effects of the coronavirus, which is COVID-19. And uh, our allies in Israel and Canada are studying this and showing progress in that area. And due to the federal laws in this country, our researchers are very, very restricted and, and quite limited, if not just flat out unable, to study cannabis as a viable alternative or preventative uh, to the current crisis uh, of COVID-19. And uh, with that being said, this could be something that is, is much cheaper than, than a vaccine or, or something of that nature. So there's lots of moving parts as to why this is so difficult to get it going. Uh, but that kind of speaks to the, to the whole problem at large and, and why this has been a multi-decade fight between cannabis activists and patients and the federal government. I know that's what's so interesting and we'll go more into it later, but it was, it's kind of like your passion right now. And I threw that passion and I don't know what the podcast is real about moving beyond your tribe. You have like almost had different roles in your life or had different circumstances kind of define you. And I think it'd be very interesting to tell us a little bit about why is this issue of medical cannabis so important to you? Sure. Yeah. So I, I grew up deep in, in the Southern state of Alabama you can detect my accent. No, and, we uh, can't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually never lived north of the Mason-Dixon line. I've, I've been a lifelong Southerner. My mother was an assistant district attorney in Mobile, particularly specializing in the DEA. My father is a, is a physician. And so I grew up 
very, very much against any form of, of illicit drug, especially cannabis. Um, I, I certainly bought into the narrative that it was dangerous and harmful and something that just cannot be touched. And it wasn't until I was in a tornado when I was 20 years old and I, I wasn't actually physically injured, but I did lose my, my housing and my, and my car and experienced quite a bit of trauma. And so I started having grand mal seizures about three weeks after that, that event. Wow. The seizures, you know, I, I went through all of the normal treatments and prescriptions. And frankly, they kept coming back with more and more frequency and more severity, greater severity. And uh, it was my, my friends who were college students, so they could find alternative medicine quite easier than most, said, you know, this, this works for, for lots of people in California and Colorado for exactly seizures, and the medication you're taking now isn't working. So what if we went, you know, what if you started just using that? And I'll admit I was highly skeptical at first and because uh, I really didn't believe that this was a medication. We didn't have, you know, this was about 10 years ago. And in that 10 years, we've had so much advancement as far as the, the science goes around, you know, actual cannabinoid treatments. So, but at the time, I, this was just purely anecdotal and certainly against everything that my parents believed and, and my doctors and all of that. So did I you ended take up, it? I did. I, I ended up, well, because I was kind of at a point where I, I actually got fired from my job because I kept having seizures at work. I was having a hard time finding stable housing I couldn't drive because of the seizures. So I was, I was really in a desperate situation. And wow. I had a woman who took me in and she had no problem with me pursuing that particular course of treatment on her farm, you know, kind of in the middle of nowhere. So free of persecution. And within three to four months, I went from having a seizure, you know, every few weeks to virtually non-existent. And, and I went four years seizure free completely abandoning um, <laughs> pharmaceutical medications in pursuit of a daily cannabis regimen. And it actually, I didn't have my, my neck seizure until 2016, where I went there. They're very stress-induced. That's what we've deducted from them. And, and also when I have a sleep deprivation. And so I, I actually went without cannabis for 24 hours, had sleep deprivation, was in a very stressful situation, and ended up seizing in the backseat of an Uber car. So Without it, I really do run a very high risk of going into into grand mal seizures, and that was so. That's my first What's the grand mal seizure? seizure. So the grand mal seizure is when you is is your stereotypical seizure, what you think of when someone falls on the ground and they start convulsing and and uh, you know they they go out of consciousness and and when they come to, they don't know where they don't know where they are, they don't know what the date is, and they suffer a, a bit of mental uh, temporary amnesia. And that's very frightening and it can lead to brain damage and even death. So it's a very serious situation and serious condition that I've only found relief in, in using cannabis. Wow. And through that, you've kind of like, and I think this is what I think is so fascinating is you're a Southern girl, lady, and then you go through this. It, It must have changed your mindset in a way. And you must have learned something on how do you approach other people and stuff like that. Dramatically, because you know, I I, start, I saw this firsthand, but I I could not talk about it very openly. It actually took me years to figure out how to speak on it openly, and um, I got myself into some kind of tricky situations when I decided to pr- pursue a career in finance. 
because you get drug tested for that. And cannabis is, is a schedule one substance showing currently stating that it has zero medicinal benefit and a high, and a high risk of, of abuse. So in the eyes of many major corporations and the law, this is a very harmful drug. So I had to get clever about how to use this medication and sometimes go without it in order to pass certain tests and, and not really talk about it until I gained people's trust and so forth. So I was very quiet about it in my early 20s, really didn't speak about it except with, with very few friends. And it wasn't until my mid-20s where I started having a whole other host of medical conditions that resulted in multiple surgeries and, and hospitalizations that ended in a very pervasive opioid addiction. And uh, that was fully legal. That, that was perfectly fine with my doctors. Uh, I just couldn't really mention cannabis. And um, that persisted for several years. And I, I really saw everything in my life deteriorate. And that's when I started using, again, thinking, oh, maybe cannabis will, will help here. And it was then that I started to become more open about it because I didn't want to go down that. I knew what being quiet meant from the first time I started using it from seizures. And the second time I said, okay, I think people are starting to see this more, take this more seriously. And so I started to become more and more vocal. And I've always talked to Southerners and Christian evangelicals mostly about it. And when they see it, especially used and used um, in contrast to opioids, they tend to be a lot more sympathetic and a lot more understanding. Uh, I've yet to meet someone that has told me, no, go back on, on opioids and not use cannabis. So um, in a long-winded answer, I hope that kind of drills in that through these various conditions, people do seem to be very empathetic and understanding. When you've communicated about this, because people have a certain, when they meet you, they would never ever imagine that you'd, you'd take cannabis, right? And having the situation you had. And so what have you learned about communicating? Like, so you've really had to stretch yourself when you're communicating with other people and reaching them. So what, what have you done in, in a way to make that happen? The first thing I think is the most important is listening, really listening to their, to their concerns and knowing the data, knowing how to address their concerns in an intelligent, rather unemotional format because they're already emotional, you know, they feel sorry, they feel bad for you. And you kind of when you have these conditions, but then when you can address the concerns, it's always centers around fear, you know, children using it and just getting high and, and so forth. But when you address it, and you say, Hey, you know, I've been a professional, I'm an athlete, and and you kind of show that the contrary to what they believe, they start to open up more and more. But the biggest thing I can say is just listening to them and listening to the concerns of anyone that, that doesn't quite understand. Because the importance of that is, is we have anyone on the, the activist side has to understand that we have had decades and decades and decades of prohibition and frankly, propaganda towards this medication. And that's going to take time to unravel. So that's, that's, an, that's good to go back because when we did the event with Tulsi, we called it the mar- marijuana-like event. That was like the title. But a lot of the specialists within the community wanted us to use cannabis. Could you tell me what, what is the difference between those words and is there a difference in, in actually what it is? So cannabis is marijuana. Marijuana is cannabis. However, marijuana was used back in the 30s as a derogatory term to 
basically marginalize and demonize the activities of various racial groups. In the 30s, it was the Hispanics around the, the Mexican border, you know, around the area of the Mexican border in a way to curtail immigration and, and like I said, kind of demonize that group. And then later we saw it really ramp up in the 60s where President Nixon was unable to outlaw a particular race or way of thinking. So he really ramped up the war on drugs because cannabis was, a, I would say, a prevalent activity among the lefts and the anti-war left and the hippie movement and, and the Black Panthers. And so by demonizing certain activities of these groups, he was able to go and jail them and, and completely dismiss any of the science or any of the data that showed that this was actually medically beneficial. It played into the interest of many special groups and also won elections. So this, ha- this prohibition has been deeply rooted in in racism, in targeting specific groups that have political opposition and mm-hmm. is, not, is not based on any particular fact or anything that is even remotely close to what the science is telling us today. So they're really the same. And so when did people start using cannabis? So you're kind of saying that marijuana was what the word came out of more of a political bent and end to it. And then we've had now, because uh, now that I'm more into it, because I'm learning a lot, of, a lot from you, frankly, we've had some very interesting discussions on it. I now tend to use cannabis. But when I'm using cannabis in, in, con- in conversation with others, they're always referring back to it as marijuana. And that's how I was. I was very, when we were doing the event and someone wanted to call it cannabis, I said, no, we can't call it, ca- call it cannabis. We have to call it marijuana. And now if I was going to do that event over again, I would call it cannabis. Mm-hmm. So I switched my mind. So, and it's interesting you say the whole derogatory end, but I don't know if you can reflect on that a bit. It's really taken a very strong stance, I'd say, in the past really 10 years, as we've seen this massive surge of legalization with 11 states legalizing recreationally, 33 states legalizing for medical purposes. So with that, the vernacular has, we've needed to differentiate between looking at this plant as a discretionary vice, which is, tends to be the connotation attached with marijuana, and as a medicinal herb, which is the connotation attached with cannabis. And so this has really been a move for, from the industry, within the industry, to break away from that stereotype, break away from that imagery of the, the reefer madness, of, of the, the highly comical, if you will, depiction of your average cannabis smoker as someone who is, you know, a complete waste of society and reframing the conversation in a way that this is patients using a medicine, using a supplement, a substance that helps them in their daily lives for a myriad of health indications. Well, so do you think they have been successful at it? Well, like I indicated earlier, this has been decade, you know, we're, we're going on now almost 90 years of, of prohibition. So it's taking time. And this is only this initiative, I would say, has only been around in the past 10, maybe 20 years. So I would say that they are becoming more and more successful. I think we certainly have a further way to go. And I think that it is just going to happen or more organically than, you know, it being shoved down people's throats. But if you look at at 
opponents to cannabis, they never, ever use that particular word. They always use marijuana because they know the power of that connotation. So I do think it's, it's quite important for anyone who understands the benefits of cannabis to actually use that wording. I think the language is, is more important now than ever. Isn't that interesting how two words that mean the same thing have completely different interpretations? <laughs> it is. It's, it's absolutely insane. Yeah, because I didn't realize that because uh, I was new to it when we were doing the event on uh, that we called marijuana. It's fascinating that that it should have really been the word cannabis because it's medical cannabis that we were really talking about. We weren't really talking about marijuana. And and it's fascinating how people from the outside will, complete, at least for me, went completely to that word. But then cannabis is the word that you wanted to find because it's actually a healing herb plant. Exactly. And it's more descriptive, truly, of what people are using this for. So I, I want to take this opportunity while we're talking about medical and, and cannabis to dispel the, the, again, the imagery that even the, the average recreational user is doing this purely to chase a, a pleasurable high. If you speak to your average adult, adult user of, of cannabis, they are partaking in this. They're, they're ingesting the substance for, a, like I said earlier, a myriad of health indications ranging from insomnia, pain, chronic stress, some anxiety, some depression, depending on your physiology, all the way up to, to someone like me who uses it to stave off seizures in lieu of opioid use. So the reasoning behind wanting to really hone in on cannabis is to show that the majority of users, even if they don't have a, a medical prescription for it, like I don't have a prescription because I've never lived in a legal state, but I do use this for medical purposes. And it's my opinion, and, and this is what the data kind of show indicates, that the majority of adult users are doing so, again, for, for medical purposes and not to chase a high and to get intoxicated. Hmm. It's really, really interesting. So, and it's, and, and this is really ver- reverberated around because with the, what you're working on right now is you're working with, I think it's uh, uh, the wife, Ebony. I don't know if you could tell us a little bit about that situation there, because there you see the ramification of using something for medical purposes and ending up in jail. Yes. Yes. You're referring to, to the Worsleys and this yeah. is Sean and Ebony Worsley. Sean Worsley is a Purple Heart recipient, an Iraq veteran who suffered a traumatic brain injury and PTS and suffers from PTSD, came back, lived in Arizona with a legal medical program, had a legal prescription for cannabis, and was on his way to visit family. He and his wife were on his on their way to visit family in North Carolina. They had their medication with them and they were over pulled over at a gas station, or I'm sorry, they were at a gas station in Alabama where one thing led to another. He was basically at his, uh, the, the, an officer said that his radio was too loud. He walked over to the car. They started discussing. The officer asked to search the vehicle. And Sean, looking to be very uh, helpful and trying, and trying to be as compliant as possible, you know, offered up that there was medical, and, medical cannabis in the car for which he had a prescription and a card. The officer informed him that there was no medical program in Alabama and proceeded to arrest him and his wife. And as a result of this, so they did not go immediate. It's awful. It's horrible. 
and a drug arrest for a felony drug arrest, because that is actually what they were charged with just for how the cannabis was presented. He was charged with the felony and that that impended their ability to provide stable living. They were bankrupted, ended up homeless. Sean was desperately tried to keep up with the terms of his parole. He was unable to do so and then was eventually pulled over for speeding and extradited from Arizona back to Alabama, where he's facing five years in prison. Now, if medical cannabis had been legal and he was allowed to have his prescription, this would have never happened. This would never, you know, he would never had any parole to keep up with, to make it even, and just to highlight how the insanity of the parole he was supposed to, to upkeep, he was mandated to go to drug classes. When he went to the VA to sign up for these drug classes for medical cannabis, the VA would not allow him to sign up for drug classes because they said that he was not a drug addict because he had a prescription for medical cannabis. This is the result of the conflicting laws at the federal level. One state saying it's a drug, the other saying there's no drug addiction that he's using as medication. And so what are you guys doing? I'd like to just go a little bit off on what, what it is you're doing with this because it, when you're mentioning it to me and you're mentioning her, uh, the wife all by, by herself, Ebony, and she's He's in jail and all this stuff just by using something that was illegal in one stick to the next. What are you doing about that? So I have been fortunate enough to befriend Ebony, and I understand that she is working with several organizations, namely the Alabama Appleseed, on getting Sean out of prison and working to, to resolve that case. I also know that they are working tirelessly on, on making that happen. And what this highlighted and inspired me, especially because this happened in my home state of Alabama, I really looked at this and, and said, I did not, I wanted Sean's case to be hopefully the last case that this ever happens, that, that we can hopefully really enact some real change at the federal level to make sure that this doesn't happen again. And so that's why we, we teamed up and we, we started this Tri-Peace Coalition, which is a coalition to free medical cannabis at the federal level. We want to see immediate change happen because the, the really sad and depressing fact is that according to the Brookings Institute, in 2018 alone, over 650,000 Americans were arrested for cannabis violations across the country. 92% of those arrests were for mere simple possession alone. Now, when we were discussing that we believe that the majority of cannabis users are doing so for medical reasons. We're talking about over half a million patients being arrested for their medication if we believe that the majority are being used for medical purposes. And that, to me, is an absolute human civil rights disaster. Wow. And, and at least when it has such a healing impact for so many. I, it saved my life. I've seen it save the lives of so many others. And so it's... um. It's just something why I had to, you know, I, I, I was on Wall Street. I was a, I had been building a career in finance for 10 years. I loved it. It, it was something that I completely threw my thought that that's exactly where my life was going was gonna to be. And I since changed my mind over this past year, especially in light of the coronavirus and, and where we are, that I just had to, I had to go in and fight this fight because it's enough is enough. And, and now is the time that we can finally see this come to an end, this, this prohibition end. And it's interesting because you're unifying with very different people with this. 
different people from different cultures, from different walks of life. Yes, that's that's been probably the most enjoyable part of this journey has been I, I spend my days speaking to far left Democrats in California and then, you know, lifelong Democrats in Alabama all the way to your conservative farmer in Georgia, you know, all about the same issue, all agreeing with what the issue is, you know, regardless of political affiliation, race, and all the things that seem to be dividing us today, this issue is unifying. And it's so, you know, a bit at first, it sounds very counterintelligent when you look at the controversy surrounding the issue. But that to me, I believe is, is very contrived. I do believe this is, is a very unifying issue across, across lines. And, and as your podcast is so aptly named, you know, beyond your tribe. Yeah, that's why I wanted you on, because I thought it was so fascinating how you've been able to recruit like Ebony. She's African-American, military, it's completely different from finance. And you mentioned someone in California, a mother, I think it was. That's another different uh, aspect in a different life and several others. So it's just really interesting how an issue can unite so many different groups. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, given what we're seeing today and the divisiveness that we're experiencing, not just as a country, but on a global scale, it's now, in my opinion, more important than ever to really push this, this issue to the center of the, of the conversation, uh, to the center of the table, so that we can really all come together and actually see maybe even a solution to the current crisis, that is COVID-19, in addition to the other areas it would solve, you know, as far as the in, in economics and criminal justice. I mean, it's, it's, it's so healing on so many levels. Yeah. So when you're recruiting people, is it the passion? Is it the listening? What is getting all these groups of people wanting to be behind the movement? Because to me, it seems like it's a movement that's about to explode. So the, the, the logical criminal justice, the, the, you know, all of the things that you just spoke about, touches on a very logical argument. And those arguments have existed for, for decades. Why I think that we're seeing this massive shift happen is because we're moving from that logic is now being backed up with positive emotion. So we're replacing that stigma with a very powerful sentiment as people are seeing, whether it in their own lives or in lives of their loved ones, a massive beneficial, if not life-saving event where you've, you know, switch from using something that doesn't work or, you know, you are living in pain every day or you can't do anything and you end up using cannabis as a medication and it saves your life. And I think that more and more people have seen this happen and like I said, so I think that the emotional argument is now there and you no longer and you're really breaking that stigma and stereotype of it being that discretionary vice to turning it into um, something that is life saving. So it's really about if I recap from you, it's kind of like number one is to listen to people like when we're going to bridge bridge the gaps of, of different groups. It's kind of listening. But what I'm hearing from you now, it's not really the logic that's moving people. It is that we're that too many or not too many, but many people are experiencing the injustice of it and also the remedy of it. Yes. And what I'll just say to that, and yes, thank you for recapping that much more succinctly than I said it in the first place. Um, yes, that's what's happening. And so the lingering stigma of the 20th century is 
quickly dissipating as the anecdotal evidence and the emotional appeal is just overwhelming any of the any of the opposing arguments. And so that's what's bringing people together is they just can't deny it anymore. Yeah. And it's such a sad story with Sean. What do you think is going to happen? Is he going to get out of jail soon or how, or is he, what, what's happening there? What do you think? I do believe that they're having good progress. I, I don't want to say too much as this is a, a, an active situation and I wouldn't want to say anything that could potentially harm the efforts, but I do want to, I am very optimistic and I, I do believe that, that we will see some good effect come out of the situation. I just don't want to speak any, uh, to anything uh, that could hurt his chances. So um, you're about to launch a campaign. Tell us about it. Like the information about, what are your, what are your thoughts about that? So, and this kind of speaks to exactly what we were talking about earlier, that there's just too many people now that, that they can't deny it. And I think you said it right the first time. So the campaign that we are launching is, is around the hashtag, not a criminal. And what I really am, what we're really hoping to achieve with this is to show that people like myself, your neighbor, your Sunday school teacher, your grandmother, there are so many people out there that you don't realize that are using this medication, whether illegally or just secretly, but they are doing so in finding extreme benefits in it. And so this is a campaign to really bring about that human element that is, I believe, missing when we are discussing cannabis use and that it isn't just relegated to a um, to very specific rare diseases, which has been a bit of the understanding for the past several years, but is actually quite applicable to millions of people. And that's what the anecdotal evidence has shown us. So we are giving a voice to those people that have found relief in this treatment, but have been unable to speak about it until now. So uh, and through all of this, what have you learned about yourself? <laughs> uh, quite a lot. <laughs> also, um, living on top of a mountain helps with that. <laughs> and uh, really, I've learned that um, I've been somewhere that I've, I've had everything materialistically, but been very empty on a meaningful level. And what I've discovered is that if you turn your attention towards helping people and just providing a way for people to help themselves and to embolden, empower those around you and just to to live courageously, regardless of the circumstances and regardless of the, the consequences, life gets a hell of a lot more fun. I think that that is so important right now, given just how dark the world is become. I don't think it's, I don't think it's quite as, quite as doom and gloom as we've made it out to be. And myself included, I got sucked into that. And so through this, uh, I saw the light as cliche as that might come across. Well, helping others. And it's an important thing. And I I like the uh, tagline because not a criminal. I mean, that's, that's what so many states are doing. Using this is saying you're not a criminal when other states are not. There's this unfair fairness to it that's just aggravating I mean when you first told me the first time I just didn't even realize that yes and I, I mean I, I'm gonna say this a bit sheepishly but I'm gonna say it you know I I still live in a non-legal state I you can ask my husband I, I shake 
every time I'm going to, to get my medication because I, I know I'm taking a risk. I'm taking a gamble with my freedom, but I'm tired of being scared of that. I'm tired of apologizing for that. Uh, and I'm tired of living in a constant state of fear. So I've, I've really relegated myself to the fact that I want to speak out about this. And, and if this uh, comes with certain consequences, it comes with certain consequences. But uh, I believe in what I'm doing. I believe in, in other people believe in what, what we're doing. And so um, I'm prepared to go all the way. So we have to ask our listeners to try the Peace Coalition. <laughs> Sign <laughs> up, right? So, what can they do to help? So, what you can do is you can go to our our website of trypeacecoalition.org, sign up for our our newsletter and events of uh, you know COVID depending. Um, if we're not able to do anything in person, we'll have things virtually, and we will also be launching this campaign. And so, what I I encourage is if you do have a story, the best way that you can help is joining our movement and telling your story. You can do it anonymously. You can do it, put your name to it. That's totally up to you. And how I ask is on your social media um, or in, or just in conversations, but really on your social media, if you can put out how this has helped you. You know, I use cannabis to treat my seizures. My grandmother uses cannabis to treat her arthritis and hashtag it not a criminal. I really want to show our elected officials that there are millions of people across the country using this as their medication and that they are not criminals for doing so. And this needs to be a groundswell effort. And uh, that's, that's the number one way you can help is just by giving your voice and not being afraid to, to showcase that anymore. Well, we'll do that. And we'll have you back when, uh, when you've had a successful campaign. Because <laughs> I think it's got a very important ring to it, like not a criminal, like seeing all these people, like I have a friend of mine's mother that's using it for her Parkinson's, you know, she's not a criminal, right? And exactly. Criminalize something that helps is, uh, is quite awful, you know, it really is. So, it is. Well, Libby, I have to thank you. We will put on the show notes, the Tribe Peace Coalition, we'll put other links there you can support and uh, support with uh, sharing the hashtag, not a criminal, even if you're not taking medical cannabis, to support it and let's create the groundswell to let lawmakers know that we can't have a country that is so unfair that you can live in Arizona and go to Alabama just driving through and ending up in jail for five years. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. Well, thank you so much, Tora. And uh, this has been a lot of fun and uh, I appreciate you giving me the time to, as I like to say, evangelize uh, about this particular issue. Thank you for listening. If you happen to like this episode, please share it with your friends. And if you're new, please pop on over to your favorite podcast app and subscribe. Leave us a review. We would love to hear from you and how we can improve to make this better or how this helped you. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode.